0: mamas with the goal to inspire, empowerment, self-love, deep physical and spiritual nourishment, holistic health, and joy, no matter your journey, gender, or perspective. I'm Laura of Radical Roots. I'm a certified CrossFit trainer, certified nutrition consultant, and mama to Evie Wilder.
1: And I'm Jess of Hold the Space Wellness. I'm a level one CrossFit trainer, a licensed and certified athletic trainer with a master's in kinesiology and mama to Baron Camille. Please note that while we're here to provide advice and insights, we aren't medical practitioners and always recommend that you check with a trusted provider before implementing any changes. Thanks for joining us. We're so happy you're here. Hey guys, it's Jess here, another episode of the Modern Mamas Podcast. And today, like I say about all my guests, I truly mean it, but we have a really, really special guest, Dr. Carrie Jones, um, who is, in my mind, I, I closely relate her to the Dutch, the Dutch Test, which we're gonna talk about um, in depth here. But she has an extensive background um, not related to the Dutch Test, which I'm really, really excited to dive into. Dr. Jones, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I love hormones is my thing. So this is going to be a lot of fun.
1: Great. I'm excited. We had so, so many good questions from our listeners, from our Facebook tribe. Um, And a lot of these questions, I was typing up an outline and I was just nodding my head like, yes, like perfect. This is great. (laughs) Like I want, I have these questions. So I have a feeling that a ton of listeners out there that, hmm, you know, maybe have been thinking about postpartum hormones or hormones in general, have a lot of these questions, so it's gonna be a really, really great, great episode. Um, Before we dive in, I want to tell you guys a little bit more about Dr. Jones. She is an internationally recognized speaker, consultant, and educator on the topic of women's health and hormones. She graduated from the National University of Natural Medicine, School of Naturopathic Medicine in Portland, Oregon, where she also completed her two-year residency in women's health, hormones, and endocrinology. Later, she graduated from Grand Canyon University's Master of Public Health program with the goal of doing more international education. She was adjunct faculty for many years teaching gynecology and advanced endocrinology slash fertility and has been the medical director for two large integrative clinics in Portland. She is the medical director for Precision Analytical Incorporated, which is the creator of the Dutch Hormone Test. So a lot of... a lot of stuff going on, girl. (laughs) A little bit. (laughs) You are amazing. Um, That is just crazy. And you're here today, not crazy, crazy good. You're here today to kind of talk to us about postpartum hormones. That's most of our questions are going to be regarding that. But what's What's essentially what's going on in the initial days, weeks, months, and beyond um, in quote-unquote postpartum. Um, and then we have, like I said, a ton of great listener, listener questions, and people really want to know more about the Dutch test. I think it's, it's something that has been talked about a lot in our community, um, but I think maybe people you just really want to know some of the nitty-gritty details about what it is, what it does, and you know who has to order and all that stuff. So I'm excited.
2: Me too. And we definitely at the Dutch test and just in general, I get so many questions about postpartum, but, um, working for a hormone company uh, constantly all the time, people, women with, with good reason call in. They're like, I feel like I'm going crazy. I just gave birth. I'm breastfeeding, but I I, like, you need to help me. Can I test? When can I test? How do I wrangle my hormones? I'm like, it's such a good question Mm because it can be really tough for a lot of women.
1: Yes, absolutely. And uh the listeners know a little bit a little bit about my particular story, but um after my first kiddo, it was an incredibly stressful birth and um led to some like postpartum anxiety and depression type symptoms, and it was one of those things where like I I literally like I knew it was going to be tough, but it's one of those things you've never gone through before, you don't really understand. Mm-hmm. how your mind and body will change so much initially those first weeks um days weeks and as a response to just normal mostly normal hormonal hormonal shifts um and i'm so glad that even this information will be helpful for people who have yet to go through the postpartum phase maybe we'll talk a little about a little bit about things to expect so that it's less I don't know what the word is. Surprising. I don't
2: want to say frightening. (laughs) Right. No, surprising is a good word. Surprising is good. Just so people, women feel empowered, you know, just like, okay, I heard that. I listened to this on the podcast. Okay. I understand what this is. I mean, they may not still feel great. They can at least sort of, um, you know, consciously be like, all right, I I see what's going on here and then seek help, you know, and then do something about it versus thinking I'm by myself. There's nothing I can do. Something's wrong with me. Mm -hmm. I'm abnormal, when you're not at all.
1: Right. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Before we jump into the nitty gritty, I like to do an icebreaker question. Um, and this is totally not off topic, but what is one thing that you're absolutely loving right now? It can be a book, a food, an activity, whatever works for you. <laughs> what, what's going on in your world?
2: So I have no affiliation to this whatsoever, but I just got my Aura ring yesterday. And for those people who don't know the Aura ring, it's O-U-R-A, and it's a tracker ring, kind of like people wear watches or bracelets or Fitbits or whatever. It's a ring instead. And so I just got it yesterday, and I just downloaded the app, and so it's my current new obsession, so I can track my heart rate variability and my activity and all this stuff Right from my middle finger.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh! Okay, so was it similar to like a Fitbit?
2: Similar, yes, okay. but it does do heart rate variability. Okay. So I'm gonna, which is um, a good marker of like your parasympathetic, sympathetic, so your your stress response, how your body's handling stress, mm. um, and and other stuff. So that's what I and it, and it tracks your sleep. It tells you how long you've been in, you know, deep sleep, light sleep, how often you wake up, things like that, on all in a little app. So. Oh my gosh. That, that's my current obsession because I, I want to, I, I'm, you know, I'm my own guinea pig. You're so into that. To yeah, yeah,
1: totally. Um, that's amazing. Okay. I'm definitely looking into that afterwards. My Fitbit is gone, completely gone somehow. Probably a child took it and then <laughs> threw it in the trash can. So I've been looking for a replacement and I've seen that. I've seen other people with it. So that's really cool. And um, we'll definitely, yeah. uh, we'll link to that in the, sh- in the podcast notes in case anyone else wants to check it out as well. So, Okay tell us a little bit more. I know we read your bio and that's kind of the quick and dirty version of your life, but tell us a little (laughs) bit more about yourself, how you found your passion, how you got to where you are and you know, why you're doing what you're doing right now in their, in your professional life.
2: Yeah. Well, I've known since I was a little kid that I wanted to be a women's health doctor. And so, um, you know, is your, I went through My undergrad and you know graduated with biology and a and a minor in business and it and I got really disillusioned with sort of conventional traditional medical school. I was working in two hospitals, and or volunteering in two hospitals, and I thought, no, no, this isn't the medicine that I see for me, and this is not the medicine I want to do with, with family, friends, patients, what have you. And so this was in the Midwest and I happened to move randomly to Portland or, or not re- serendipitously to Portland, Oregon. And I got a job at the naturopathic um, medical school. School, And I thought, oh, oh, this is where I need to go to school. So I applied to the program and got in. And then I just did everything with my focus in women's health, hormones, and gynecology. and And I have not veered. And so I joke all the time and I say this, if you have a kid question, a pediatric question, like I am so not your girl. <laughs> and if you have a pro- like if you hurt your, you know, if you, you know, hurt your foot or you, you know, hurt your knee, like don't call me. Like I'll empathize <laughs> for sure. I'll be like, "Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry." But I have no idea what to do. But if you feel hormonal, <laughs> that I can help with. That's my expertise. <laughs> That's
1: awesome. <laughs> At least you know your strengths.
2: Yes, exactly. Yeah, I'm very clear. I'm very clear when people ask. Like one of the questions was about Bell's palsy, and I was like, "Ooh, hmm, I don't know. We look, look we look some stuff up." Yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> so, and that, that's. I think that's just a testament to you and the, your style of practice. You know, so many times, um, just in like traditional medical model, it's like you go to the doctor and you have. Quite, there, I mean, there's so many things that are covered in like a, a regular visit. And, you know, your doctor may not have all the answers, but will tell you something based on, you know, maybe not having all of the, the knowledge in that area.
2: Do you know what I mean? Right. Right. Um, And and unfortunately what I find, and you may see this too, and your listeners may too, is that instead of referring you out or saying, you know what, that's not my area, but let me find someone for you. They kind of, I don't want to say make it up, but they kind of just like gleam over it. mm -hmm. Like, oh, that's you know what, that's pretty typical for your age. You're fine. And it's like, wait, hold on, no. (laughs) Right, right. I don't feel fine.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like the other side of that too is a specialist is consistently, so someone like yourself, in the hormone world. That's your jam. I'm sure that you are constantly up to date with the latest research, the latest changes, you know, what's coming out in terms of like anything that has changed in, in recent times, whereas if it's not your expertise, it's probably more normal to default to older right. forms of information, maybe not the right. most up to date advice. Um, at least that's what I've seen personally with with my personal encounters.
2: Right. No, I would agree. Yeah. I would agree.
1: Awesome. Yes. So that's how you got into this whole world. And so, that was, <laughs> me okay. and hormones. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. And so, do you want to just like dive in? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> okay. Do so it. So, we're going to, before we hit all the listener questions, and we might actually answer some of those questions in this general. Um, you know, this general point of the podcast, but we're going to talk to talk about postpartum hormones, like we said. Um, and so I'm going to let you just tell us all all about it. Um, but let's start with, so we're tra- talking about postpartum hormones, I guess you want to kind of address what's going on during pregnancy, because essentially, things are going to shift drastically from how your body's how it is working and the hormone levels that are having to be present during pregnancy—it's going to shift drastically as soon as you deliver. So, can you tell us a little bit about that shift and what's going on during pregnancy? Um, as Absolutely. far as you, as far as you want to go, you take it away. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and yeah, so right, I tell women as soon as you—I tell my patients as soon as you find out you're pregnant, like, as soon as you get that little positive pregnancy test. You need to call me because the first two things I'm going to check are one, your progesterone levels and two, your thyroid levels. And I do a pretty thorough thyroid test and I do it in blood because I need to know right away, like entering into pregnancy, I need to know your progesterone. Is it a healthy marker and going up and that your thyroid is good? Because if not, then you are potentially at risk for, you know, Pregnancy complications or you know early miscarriage things like that. But what I don't think women realize is that as you move through the weeks of pregnancy, as you go through you know all the trimesters, your estrogen and your progesterone and actually even your prolactin, um, which is your what we associate with your breastfeeding hormone, goes up quite exponentially. And so it's funny. I got a question from a practitioner the other day who said what's a normal progesterone level in pregnancy? And I said, well, what week are they in? Because it, I mean, it's just, it's almost, you know, straight up. I mean, progesterone just goes up, up, up as does estrogen. So as you're, as you're pregnant, a lot of women tend to say, you know, not all, I understand this, but a lot of women are like, wow, I feel great in pregnancy. I loved being pregnant oftentimes because they had hormone imbalance pre-pregnancy, you know, they might've been estrogen dominant or they didn't make very good levels of, of, uh, progesterone. And then when they got pregnant that, you know, the placenta is putting all this out and now they're at a high balanced level and they're like, man, I feel great. So it's a good indication for women. If you didn't feel great pre-pregnancy and you feel great in pregnancy that you probably had some pretty, um, you know, moderate hormone imbalance pre-pregnancy that we'll need to work with. Once you're postpartum. What
1: happens so if it's the like- o- opposite? What happens if, it, if you felt fine before getting pregnant? <laughs> <and then laughs> you you, <hate> pregnancy. Yeah. <laughs> Asking for like, a friend.
2: Yeah, just, just in case. It's also hormonal, but what can happen, like progesterone is a good one. So progesterone is our pro gestational hormone mm-hmm. that's where it gets its name okay. and it's calming and it's relaxing and it's you know it, it's a it's a feel-good hormone for women but when you get too much it can make them have women have a lot of water retention it can make their headaches worse it can make them feel weepy it can um make their skin break out it can make their skin completely change and so women are like i got pregnant and i like i all my acne's back and i'm like right. Ooh, progesterone like typically typically it's progesterone um the other thing though is that your thyroid you know pro, pregnancy puts a lot of strain on your endocrine glands thyroid being one of them and so we have to keep an eye on your thyroid as you move through the vi- the different trimesters because it can change really quickly and if you become hypothyroid you know you're going to start having pretty you know awful symptoms fatigue being a really big one but you it gets masked because you're pregnant and so you know Potentially, doctors or your friends or family are like, "Oh, yep, you know, honey, that's what you should expect Mm -hmm. when you're pregnant." And I'm like, "No, no, you, you actually have a thyroid problem too, and we need to address this one for you, but two for the for the developing baby because a woman with hypothyroidism um, can have fetal development issues that we want to avoid. And so the the the, it's like Goldilocks with hormones; like it can swing both ways. Like you kind of want it, you know, not too little and and not too much. So do you do, to do you do progesterone and thyroid testing for all
1: of your patients, regardless of if they have a history of... of Pretty much. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, that is I incredible. I wish, you know, just to have that information, not in a like, oh, we need to be like looking out for the worst case scenario. It's more like, okay, we have this information because... Um, myself got, I went through an, and the, our listeners know this story too, but went through an, an early loss between my two kiddos. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I kind of like when I got pregnant that time knew something was, was kind of off and different. And my doctor was just kind of like, well, you know, it's fine. Like it's normal. And again, like there's no blame or like anything like that, but mm-hmm. I went, I don't know if maybe got getting tested earlier on would have helped um, do anything about that. But it was also I had to request it the next time I got pregnant. I had to be like, I want to be tested um, as soon as right. I get pregnant. She'd, that wasn't a standard thing um, to like keep it, an eye on it.
2: It's not. And, and unfortunately, it's not a standard thing until you've had three miscarriages. Wow. So once you've had three, then they're like, oh – this is recurrent. This is a problem. We should work you up. And I'm of the complete opposite view. I'm of why would I let you get to three? Let's try to prevent one oh and, and see what we can do. Now, obviously, progesterone and thyroid are not the end all be all. Right. I mean, obvi- you know, like you can act, you know, if, if the sperm and the egg get together and, and it's just not a good match mm-hmm. is what's coming down the pipeline, you're going to miscarry, you right. know, if, if everything just doesn't line up. But if I can address it hormonally, if it's a, if you're having early miscarriage because of a thyroid shift or you're having early miscarriage because of a low progesterone, then why not address it? Why not Absolutely. be proactive about it? Totally. So yeah. So even, even women with good hormone levels, I'm and, and the thyroid and progesterone are generally fair in, in a blood draw are generally cheaper and generally covered by insurance. And so most women are like, yeah, I'll, I'll pay that $25 copay to know that these (laughs) levels are just fine. Like, yeah, yes. Okay. I'm not doing it to be frivolous. I'm doing it just because of experience. Absolutely.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, and and just going, having gone through one miscarriage myself, imagining myself doing that over like two more times, just the emotional stress that you would have to go through. I mean, to get to the point where, you know, okay, like now we can test. It just doesn't make any sense to me. So. I would agree. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Sorry to derail you, but okay. So you told us about the hormones climbing up during pregnancy.
2: Yep. And so then what women don't realize is now you deliver. So you deliver your baby and as soon as you deliver, and if you ever, you can Google image it, you will, if you type in postpartum hormones, it's like, you'll see your hormones go up, 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 up. And then it'll have a little thing at the bottom. It's like delivery day. And then they go straight down. (laughs) like. Straight down. So your estrogen and progesterone, which was nice and big and high and healthy, goes straight down, but your prolactin is high. And of course, um, that bonding hormone oxytocin will you know, go up often because you've, you're bonding, you're breastfeeding, you've just delivered, you've got the baby on your chest, you know, you're super happy and you're exhausted. And, and so these are the hormones that go up, but women lose their estrogen and progesterone immediately after, um, after giving birth. And then what can happen, which is a little bit of a, of a later question, but just because it's a good segue, you know, you need estrogen. Estrogen and serotonin, which is, of course, our one of our uh, antidepressant uh, hormones, um, are really integral together. So if you have low levels of estrogen, then you have a really tough time making serotonin. So to get the the precursor to serotonin, um, is tryptophan. Tryptophan comes from protein. It's an amino acid. And when tryp- tryptophan can't get to the the next thing called 5-HTP, which yes, is a supplement, but yes, you actually make it in your brain. Mm-hmm. And then 5-HTP makes serotonin. So estrogen is a big trigger for that. And so postpartum, if you don't have, if you're, if you don't get that a good, a healthy rebound on estrogen or you're struggling to make serotonin already, serotonin's already been a problem for you, then your serotonin production will potentially go down, leading to depression. Mm. On top of that, you've lost your progesterone. Well, progesterone can stimulate um, uh, your calming hormone in your brain called GABA, which is G A B A. So you've lost your serotonin, and now you've lost your GABA. So you're depressed, and you're not calm because you you've lost your you know you've lost out on this stimulation. Um, to GABA, and then on top of that, I mean, it's just not fair.
1: Who designed this? <laughs> I know it doesn't really I, right? make a lot of sense.
2: <laughs> on top of that, your you your bre- most women, um, not most. I sh- let me take it back. All women, their prolactin goes up because they're whether they choose to breastfeed or not, or can or can't, it doesn't matter. Your prolactin is going to go up to give you the opportunity. So your prolactin increasing means your dopamine, which is another brain hormone, goes down dopamine is your reward center. It's your like, when you eat chocolate and you feel good. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. We were talking earlier when you, when you, you know, have that cup of coffee and you're like all, you know, like you feel good (laughs) dopamine and obviously bad things will trigger dopamine too, like, you know, gambling and sex and drugs, Mm -hmm. but it, but the healthy things can stimulate dopamine too. And, and dopamine helps a lot with, um, energy and, and motivation and, um, attraction. So, so now, prolactin is making us lose that. Progesterone has made us lose GABA and estrogen has made us lose serotonin. And women are now at risk for postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety or postpartum, you know, everything. That's such a vulnerable state.
1: I mean, one that essentially it just is a byproduct of of, of what's going on. And it's not that like, you don't have any control, but it's just a, a natural process, I, is what you're saying. Like everybody goes it through is. this process.
2: Everybody, pretty much everybody goes okay. through this process. Now, to varying degrees, of course, some mm-hmm. women don't get it for very long or don't experience much of it at all, or maybe don't notice it. And other women, um, it's pretty severe, right? They have right. severe postpartum depression and they're considering, you know, killing themselves or baby things, mm-hmm. other people. And so it can be really serious.
1: So, and then you kind of mentioned like the prolactin going up and the dopamine going down and attraction between a part- partners and all those things. Is this like an evolutionary thing? Because I know like you talk about, we talk about, we talk about sex on this podcast all the time, but <laughs> um, um, you know, like people, a lot of our listeners will say like, while I'm breastfeeding, like, I just don't feel like, I don't feel attracted to my partner. I don't feel like having sex. Like I don't, is it yes. like a protective thing?
2: Yes, it is a protective thing. So one of prolactin's um, main uh, things that it does is it decreases sex drive. Mm. It's to stop you from procreating again because it wants you to focus on the baby at hand. Wow. I know. And and it it stops your period. So, right. So it stops your period. It stops ovulation and it stops. It reduces your sex drive and it doesn't make you, it makes you not necessarily feel attractive or be all that attracted to the person that you're with. It's, it's And it's definitely, just like you said, evolutionary. It doesn't want you to get pregnant again so you can focus on what's in front of you.
1: Wow. Our bodies are incredible. It just blows me away.
2: Right. It is incredible. But then, of course, we go of course. often and screw it up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're okay. we out and we don't sleep and we don't always choose the right foods and Maybe on some you know some women or or couples don't have the community mm-hmm. so um around them to help with you know new baby help and and it just makes everything amplified
1: right, okay, so that brings me to the next question, which is okay, these are naturally occurring processes, naturally occurring hormone fluctuations that are happening, so say you know that this is gonna happen, or maybe even going deeper than that, you have a predisposition to depression, anxiety, things of that nature. Um, Or, you know, you have a hormonal imbalance prior to getting pregnant. How are you, what are some just, I guess, let's talk about general ways that a person can protect themselves as much as possible within, you know, whatever's within their control from seeing these huge, huge fluctuations or to the point where it's going to get to anxiety, depression, you know, things that are a little bit more clinical in nature.
2: Absolutely. Well, the first thing I always say is, you know, like, make sure you're prepared. If you have a partner, tell your, like, warn your warn your partner, mm-hmm. you know, make sure they're educated as well. And then make sure you have somebody you can turn to if things get bad. So if, whether that's your, your OBGYN, your midwife, your counselor, your best friend, somebody where you can just throw up the white flag and say, I I need some help so that they can properly help you. But and it also depends too if you're going to if you're going to choose to breastfeed or you're breastfeeding, or you're not breastfeeding. So if you're not breastfeeding because you don't risk um, getting supplements and stuff through the breast milk into the baby, you can actually do. A lot more. I'm not saying it's fair. I definitely encourage breastfeeding for sure. Mm -hmm. But when you're breastfeeding, we have to be very, very careful because everything you take goes right into the breast milk and of course then into your baby. Mm -hmm. So one thing, and and I know this is, this gets harped on all the time, but it's the, it's the basics. It's going back to the basics. It's making sure you get sleep. And, and while we tell new mamas this all the time and they're like, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah, right. It, you know, working, like having people who can be there so you can take a nap or that, you know, rotating, um, maybe who gets up with a baby in the middle of the night and, you know, maybe if you're breastfeeding, pumping. So, and the reason I say this is sleep is your circadian rhythm. The hormone that comes out at night is your melatonin. Melatonin is your moon and cortisol is your sun. So cortisol comes out in the day. So if you don't, if you're not getting all that much sleep, which obviously new new moms often, do, well, moms in general just don't get that much sleep, mm-hmm. you miss out on rhythms. You miss out on the rhythms in your body, which rhythms includes like release of hormone at a proper time. So you may want to release serotonin, but you've missed out on a rhythm. So you, you don't get the release in a proper time or you miss out on dopamine or you miss out on GABA. Um, and, and rhythms include things like your feeding schedule. That's a rhythm. Rhythm includes things like your your menstrual cycle, are you going to get it back or not? That's a rhythm. And so like sleep is a number one. And I don't care if you do it in the day, if you just nap, <laughs> if you get any at night, like anytime you can get some sleep, you need to prioritize that over anything else. And then the number two thing is blood sugar balance. Um, you, you know, with when your blood sugar is too high or too low, it's, it's very Goldilocks again. It's very stressful on your body and it causes your body to have to release cortisol and um, norepinephrine and, adre- and epinephrine, which is adrenaline and noradrenaline, and and that just makes things. It's it's a it's a protective mechanism. Like oh, she's not eating or she skipped meals or um, she's not eating enough, so I'm gonna dump all this adrenaline in her system, and now you have this excess adrenaline, and you don't feel good. And adrenaline, long term, can um, cause more um, like tissue breakdown and, and cause more damage or cause you to feel more anxious or cause you to not sleep at night and, and, you know, put you in fight or flight. And so if you, so new moms, if you can get as much sleep as you can, and then make sure you are eating well and regularly, then you can really avoid some of those hormonal imbalances because you're not putting yourself in fight or flight and you're helping your rhythms.
1: That's incredible. I know. And I feel like it's the two of the hardest things for for moms to accomplish sometime, especially if you haven't thought about it beforehand, like, okay, who is my support system? How am I going to get sleep? Have How am I going to get healthy meals that aren't going to, you know, that I don't have to cook, especially in those first few weeks, you know, first few mm-hmm. weeks, months. Um, and we talk about that a lot too, just preparing for that time to allowing your body to heal and allowing these systems to get more regulated, um, as they would normally. And I feel like a lot of times people are so focused on like, I got to make it through the delivery. Like I just, mm-hmm. I need to like get my baby here. And that's all, that's yeah. amazing. That's, that's, you have to do that. Um, <laughs> but then you have a baby and it's like, okay, what do I do now? I, I, right. you know, I have to hold the baby and I can't cook or, you know, I'm so, so tired. The baby's waking up, you know, every hour. Um, and it's like, you just, you're not in the mindset to start planning then. So exactly if you can prepare a that. Yep, yeah. exactly.
2: Yeah. No, no new mom is generally in a multitasking planning mindset. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> that comes way later. That comes back. <laughs> yes, I tell mom like that'll come back. Don't worry. Your memory and your multitasking will come back, but not immediately. Right. It's <laughs> not the focus right now. You're not supposed to cook and do laundry and, you know, deal with a one week old at the same time.
1: Absolutely. 100%. And I think my personal story was that I what I thought I would have a baby and everything would go back to the way like it was <laughs> and we would be so productive and then we just strap the baby on. And while that is true for a lot of people, it definitely wasn't true for me and that was a hard transition realizing like I can't do all the things. And then, you know, granted with their second kiddo, a lot of it was just like, okay, I've been here before. It's easier. Right. Um, Still doesn't right. mean that I want to do all the things, but like you embrace it a little bit more the second time around, or at least I did, was like, right. I'm just going to sit on the couch and I'm going to watch 16 seasons of Criminal Minds and it's going to yeah. be totally <laughs> fine.
2: <laughs> Exactly. And the most important part is like, it's okay. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's like the mom guilt is ridiculous. I'm like, no, I'm telling you to sit on the couch and watch 16 seasons of Criminal Minds. Like It's okay. Like, (laughs) I need you to, for you to get better. That's, I'm going to write you a prescription to do nothing, but sit on the couch and, you know, hold your baby and relax. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay. So you're saying biggest two things, sleep and blood sugar regulation.
2: And hopefully by explaining the why, you know, cause women get told, Oh, get more sleep, get more sleep. And they're like, uh, okay. But if they know the why, like, Oh, it helps my rhythms. Mm-hmm. It'll help my hormone release rhythms. And I want my hormones back in balanced or, or blood sugar. Okay. If I eat regularly, then, then I won't, it'll reduce the stress response on my body. Cause mm-hmm. a blood sugar imbalance results in a cortisol and an adrenaline release. Then, okay. You know, then I'll they can, if they know the why that mm-hmm. maybe they'll be more apt to stay on top of it or yeah. have somebody stay on top of it for them, whether, Yeah, you know, sign somebody.
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. And I, not to go deep dive into this topic, cause I'm sure we can go for hours on this subject alone, <laughs> but like that brings me into like the pressure when you're talking about blood sugar relation, regulation, eating regularly, eating enough um, because we all know that like in, if you're breastfeeding, especially like those initial months, it um, seems like forever your appetite is just through the roof because you're mm-hmm. expending all this energy making breast milk. Um, and a lot of that, I feel like people get it's I think it's just the guilt and the culture. It's like, I don't want to eat too much. Like, I feel like I'm eating so right. much like, you know, I should eat less. I should eat something different or something, quote unquote, healthy. And
2: it's like it just makes me sad because you Well and especially when we have um you know I, I for I know, for lack of a better description like the instagram models are, are real models you know who are like okay i snapped back on, mm-hmm. in 6 weeks and did a Victoria's secret Unway. and i was like nope that's not real <laughs> 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 no nope. and I, and i and i have moms who were like how did they do that and i said are you kidding they have a team they're they're yeah. millionaires you know like yeah. they have a cook and a nanny and a, and a midwife and, and a personal assistant and you know they pay people for this. Yeah. They they just throw money at it and and good for them. Good mm-hmm. on them. But most women can't and don't and and it's not really what we were designed to do. We're not necessarily designed to snap back in four to six weeks and and be fabulous. and go for it. That's yeah, it's why, yeah, <laughs> why other countries have besides the United States, other countries have really long maternity leaves because they recognize you can't snap back and four to six weeks it takes a lot longer than that for women to snap back.
1: Yeah, and I feel like they make the support so much easier for the the mom too, you know, with paternity leave and, mm-hmm. you know, just all the options. Um, you know, I hope to see that change one day here, but Me too. we'll see. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, great. Such fabulous in- information. Um, one of the questions, and this will kind of wrap up this general session and we'll dive into listener questions, um, but when... Technically, does postpartum end? Slash, when are our hormones no longer defined as being like in that postpartum phase? And I guess <laughs> it's like a three part. How long typically should it take for them to return to normal? I know there's probably a lot of factors that go into this, but I'd totally. love to hear your
2: answer. So, if like technically, when you when you look it up, so they say the postpartum is only about like. I mean, depends on the source you read, you know, for like four to six weeks after birth is postpartum, except I find that most moms like come out of, I mean, like shell shock, even happy shell shock, you know, it can take them four to six weeks to, like for reality to set in like, holy Mm. crap, (laughs) this is real. This is what I have to deal with. And their symptoms come on. Um, other resources say, you know, definitely the postpartum period kind of ends at the three to four month mark. So the official, like, when are you considered postpartum might be months, but what I tell women is the symptoms can last for a long, I mean, you can have the symptoms for a year or more. Your, your postpartum symptoms can become chronic symptoms and you still can't, either way, you can't blow it off. You can't, Mm -hmm. if you have depression, severe depression at six months or eight months or a year, you can't, don't let anyone tell you like, well, you're postpartum, so just hang in there. Like, mm-hmm. no, D- yes, it may have started postpartum but we, this is, this is lasting and we need to address it. And then how long does it take to get back to normal?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Dep- depends. <laughs> and it, it depends right on like a million factors. Yeah. It depends on if this is your first kid or your fifth kid. It depends on if you're, um, breastfeeding, um, you know, pumping, you know, not breastfeeding, Uh, so the normal part for women, you, some women get their periods back in six weeks. Now getting a period back and having normal hormones are not the same thing. You can get a period back and, and they're still not good. Your hormones are still imbalanced. And other, I have women that tell me they breastfeed exclusively and they're, you know, year and a half, two year mark. And they don't have a period. I'm like prolactin, man. It's a tough one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) That's what can happen. So is that,
1: I mean, this is a little bit off topic, but Going without a period for that span of time, I both of my kiddos, I nursed t- almost like two years, and the second one a little bit less. But you know, I was able—I say able—I didn't have a period during the time I was nursing. Um, so, does that do anything to you long term in terms of like returning back to like a
2: normal baseline? Mm, nope. Okay. Mm-mm. Nope. That's good to know. No you women listening might might, somebody listening may disagree. They may say, well, I breastfeed breastfed for two years and my hormones were a mess. And I don't think necessarily it was the breastfeeding, the nursing that did it. I would imagine they were hormonally challenged leading up to it Mm -hmm. and it persisted. It became a chronic thing. Um, but I would never tell a woman, oh no, you can't, you know, don't nurse for, you know, two years because it'll screw you up. Absolutely not. I have plenty of women you're, you know, who nurse for two years and then they wean and all is good. The body's like, all right, next.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And then, so this is another question I'm curious about. I don't think we had this as a listener question, but I'm going to interject it. But I had, in my experience, and I, we've heard this from other listeners as well, um, a very tough time hormonally after weaning. Um, mm-hmm. It seemed to me to be even more intense emotionally than post, like initial postpartum. What, what is what? What the heck is going on there? <laughs> Why does that right.
2: happen <laughs> again? So it's re- it's the re- it's like a reverse postpartum. So now your prolactin that was high to l- give you milk is now ch- shifting right. So mm-hmm. you've, you've got this shift in mel- uh, prolactin, but you still have potentially, you know, estrogen, progesterone. Serotonin, GABA, dopamine issues. So you just lost one more hormone mm. with with prolactin, and and it can be an oxytocin because you've got you get all this this bonding hormone. You know when you when you breastfeed and and when you're doing the the nursing thing if you're not, if you've chosen a wean, you can, obviously you can get higher oxytocin through other means like hugging your child, hugging your significant other, petting your dog, but it's really high with breastfeeding. And so you, you, now you've lost out on prolactin and you've lost out on this oxytocin, this feel good bonding hormone. And so women, they're like, man, this is tough. And just mentally, you know, you've been, you've been nursing your child for two years and even though you might want to wean you may be over it (laughs) (laughs) like time to move on like it's still you you feel it's still hard women still feel like they're losing that Mm -hmm. connection with their child like they were the sole you know or mostly sole provider of nourishment for two years or a year or whatever and 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 now they want to wean but it's also really it's it's a letting go process
0: hi friends laura here with some exciting news Four Sigmatic has come on as a Modern Mamas podcast sponsor. We are so excited. If you've been following along with my Instagram stories, especially, you've seen that I use this stuff every single morning. The Lion's Mane Elixir is my absolute favorite. I add it to my boosted coffee for an extra boost of brain clarity, productivity, and focus that I genuinely did not experience until I started adding this in every day. They also make other elixirs like Reishi for calming, Cordyceps for an energy boost, and Chaga for an immune boost. Along with those elixirs, they also have really cool blends. I love the Lion's Mane and coffee blend when I travel because I don't have to worry about getting my hands and lips on high quality coffee. I have it ready to go. All you need is hot water. You Mix in the blend and you're set. They have caffeine caffeine free options as well, like a chai latte and a turmeric latte for gut health and skin glow. And they have all kinds of incredible blends. I cannot recommend enough that you go check out their website, find whatever mushroom blend is, is going to fit with your lifestyle, and give it a try. The awesome folks at Four Sigmatic have offered our listeners are special you get 15% off any order if you go to foursigmatic.com forward slash modern mamas or simply type in modern mamas all lowercase all one word at checkout you get 50% off check it out see what fits your life and happy
1: which is yeah definitely okay wow so much amazing stuff I think we kind of (laughs) covered the basics do you want to dive into the nitty-gritty yes okay let's do let's do it okay so we'll just go kind of like bullet point question answer type style. Yeah. So first, first listener asks, she's super interest, interested to get a baseline of her hormones sometime postpartum um, because the Dutch test was really helpful before she got pregnant. When is the earliest she would be? you would suggest testing um, in that postpartum phase?
2: That's a great question. So when women say, when can I hormone test postpartum, I always tell them, you can hormone test at any time. It doesn't matter. But- you have to recognize what's going on. So if you are exclusively breastfeeding, then you know your prolactin's going to be high, which and now you know listening to this podcast, it's going to affect your estrogen and progesterone. so if it, and um what you do about it can be challenging because it's your, if you're choose if you're going to continue to breastfeed, then you may get the Dutch test or any hormone test and just know, okay, here's where I'm at. this is the effect of prolactin. In, in in breastfeeding, so you know, keep an eye on this. Mm-hmm. Other women might say, well, actually, you know what? I'm I think I'm going to start weaning here soon. So if they're go- if they already know if they already have it in their head like I'm going to start weaning, then I then I suggest, well, wait, wait until you wean, wait and, and get your period back, or or if you already have your period, you know, give it a couple give it a couple cycles, give it a couple periods once you've weaned and then collect. Now you can test other hormones. You can absolutely do adrenal testing anytime. You can do thyroid testing at any time. You know you can look at your other nutrients like iron. That you can do any time of the whole process. It's your estrogen, progesterone, that's affected by if you're breastfeeding, how often you're breastfeeding, how close you are to weaning or not, um, and then go from there. Okay. But breastfeeding's really and, I, and again, like I don't, I'm not, I'm totally full, pro breastfeeding. But it is just recognized it's the one it's the one thing it's a limiting factor it it's makes a your option, yeah, it makes your <laughs> yeah. options
1: a little little more uh, narrow so okay, so and we haven't even actually for for people that don't know what the Dutch test is, we kind of skipped over that completely oh, yeah. Tell us what <laughs> the Dutch test is, what is it test, and when is it like you know just give us a little bit of background on that a little
2: background so D- Dutch is an acronym um we do not test for Dutch heritage, but we do <laughs> test for um, which everybody asked me. Um, but we do test for um, hormones. So it's dried urine test for comprehensive hormones. So we do all your basics, estrogens, progesterone, testosterone, uh, cortisol. We do, mel- we do test melatonin. So that, that rhythm hormone I was talking about, uh, DHEA. But because it's a urine test. So you urinate on these little pieces of filter paper, kind of like a pregnancy test, and you do it four times in the day. And because it's urine, we get all your pathways as well so i can say here's your estrogen and then here's where it goes so estrogen goes through phase 1 and phase 2 detoxification and we can map that out i can say here's your testosterone and here's the pathway it goes down so testosterone can go down a pathway that causes acne and and hair loss and hair growth in places you don't want it and mood swings or it goes down another pathway which is less likely to cause that so we get sort of this big this big picture information about all your hormones, and then where they're going um, just by urinating on these little pieces of filter paper throughout the day. That's so that's the Dutch test.
1: Okay, awesome. And we have some other questions about it, but I'll wait till we get to those. But I just wanted to get that out in the open because I know most of these questions are going to be about it. So, um, right. okay, perfect. Um, okay, so we hit number one. Second one, if we suffered from a hormonal imbalance pre-pregnancy, where do we begin, even begin to regulate them postpartum while trying to breastfeed? A lot of, a lot so, of breastfeeding
2: questions. Right. Absolutely. And this one we've definitely talked about, like I said, it's, it's tough. And just like you said, I mean, breastfeeding is the, is the limiting factor just because what you take, you have to be a little more careful of, um, uh, cause you know, the baby can, will get it as well. Now breastfeeding and pregnancy are, are clearly different. What, what you take, if you take supplements, nutrients, herbs, what have you, pregnant, they cross the placenta pretty well. Mm-hmm. If you do it breastfeeding, not everything crosses into the breast milk a hundred percent. It's, mm-hmm. it's, in fact, it's, it's a significantly less. So there's a, it opens up a lot more nutrients and a lot more herbs and a lot more teas and things that you can take, but you have to work with somebody who knows that. Mm-hmm. So I, so I tell women, if you're breastfeeding, you know, focus on the diet, on the sleep, on the eating, on, on the support. Um, and, and then definitely talk with somebody who's familiar with, um, Things that are safe: supplements, vitamins, nutrients, teas that are safe while breastfeeding, and then so you can work on helping your, you know, even helping your thyroid or helping your, um, your adrenals, your HPA axis, things like that.
1: Okay, so like in general, you would probably obviously you can't, you don't know this person; she's not your client, your uh, patient. So it's it's hard for you to give specific recommendations, but. In general, would you recommend them hooking up with, like, a functional medicine practitioner or someone who – Definitely.
2: Because, yeah, yeah,
1: I feel like it's just in the traditional medical model. Everything is – you can't do anything when you're breastfeeding. There's no, like, gray areas, like, in terms of supplements and medicine and all that stuff. Right. Um, And so, okay, just want to throw that out there. So someone who's – Go ahead. And
2: most i was going to say most women in the conventional model you know their their obgyns will put them on the progestin only birth control pill right we hear that mm-hmm. all the time like oh just go on this progestin only pill and it's you know it'll hormonally fix you and i'm like um <laughs> i don't know about that you know that's i mean it is the progestin only pill is quote unquote you know it's you know safe progestin is safe in, in breastfeeding, but it's still not going to, it's not a fix. It's not right. going to fix, the, it's not a root cause. Right. It's just going to cover up. Yeah,
1: absolutely. We actually have um, a podcast c- coming up about hormonal birth control, which I'm excited okay. to hear about because I feel like that's another thing, like, you know, six, at your six-week appointment, it's always like, now what are you going to do for birth control? And it's like, I right. don't know. I have no <laughs> idea. What are my options? Um, so I'm excited to, d- to dive into that because I can imagine at that point, artificially adding in hormones that are naturally not present. Like I can just imagine that there's a lot of things going on with that as well.
2: Right.
0: Exactly. um,
1: Okay. So this listener is super excited for this topic. She (laughs) said she's almost 13 months postpartum. She's still breastfeeding again and no period yet. They're hoping to start trying for baby number two soon and was just starting to think about testing hormones to see what's going on. But just curious about when slash if the results are helpful while still breastfeeding. And I have that question too, because, you know, you you hear all the time, I got pregnant. I I didn't even have my period back, you know, um, how, how does that happen?
2: because you ovulate. So, right. So you are going along breastfeeding and most women are waiting for their first period. But what happens before the period, you release an egg, you have to, you ovulate. Mm -hmm. And so women will miss ovulation. They won't even realize it's happening. Um, because they're waiting for a period or they're thinking to themselves, well, I'm breastfeeding. I can't get pregnant while breastfeeding, which is definitely not true. The, you know, as you it, it, and especially as women, maybe, let's see, she's 13 months, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, like maybe she's not doing breastfeeding exclusively, mm-hmm. right? So she's not doing it all the time. So her prolactin is not as high as it used to B, Therefore, it's not as suppressive to ovulation. And now she releases an egg before she even gets a period and they have sex and now she's pregnant. So you can test, you can test in her case, like while breastfeeding. But really what she wants to know is is she ovulating? Mm -hmm. And, and that's, and that's different. That's like, she's going to have to pay attention to signs. A lot of women will start doing temperature tracking to Mm -hmm. see if their temperature will randomly go up. And then they know, um, maybe they'll, they'll do some, you know, ovulation predictor kits and see, um, if they feel like they're close to ovulating. If, you know, things are changing, they'll pay attention to their mucus, mucus changes. And so that's what you have to catch first. Am I ovulating? Now, if you're not having sex or if you're you know, using condoms or protection or what have you. Um, then, in, in, in you're in her case, like she wants to do baby number two soon. Like I said, you can test, but you are breastfeeding, so you're in this sort of weird gray area. You can test, but once you stop breastfeeding, your hormones w- w- will probably change significantly. So, mm-hmm. if she's planning to wean soon because she wants baby number two, then I would wait until she weans. And then, and then hormone test and then, te- and then see, right. but she can be very, I mean, she can do temperature tracking. There's so many cool apps out there now and little devices that she can do to see if her temperature is starting, you know, going up. Cause right now she doesn't know Yeah, she's she has a period, but she can start paying attention and see.
1: Yeah. And Laura and I both use the Daisy fertility tracker, which I I'm obsessed yep. with. Um it's so cool and it's mostly cool. Like we're we're not trying to get pregnant, we're trying to avoid pregnancy at this point. <laughs> but um it's just really cool cuz it lets it gets you more in tune with your body and I just love it. I think that's a great first step. And then my question is, so can you continually ovulate without a period? Cuz to me, the, physically like an anatomically like if you ovulate, you should have a period, but can you go yep regular cycles with you're just ovulating and you never have a period? That seems like a dumb question. No,
2: no. And, but the opposite can happen. You cannot ovulate and have a period. Hmm. You don't have, you don't have to ovulate to, to bleed. Okay. But if you ovulate, then there's a pretty good chance 10 to 14 days later, you're going to, you're going to bleed.
1: Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's good. I think that's a common misconception. Like people think I don't know. Like they just, I, 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 well, everyone waits
2: for the period, right? Cause right. that's what everybody asks. Like your, your midwife, your OBGYN, your friends, your family. Have you gotten your period back yet? Have you gotten your period back yet? Because you, because you bleed. So, you know, like, yes, I have, cause mm-hmm. I am bleeding. Whereas when you ovulate, you may not notice anything. You you know, like you don't there's no, you know, red flag that comes out. There's mm-hmm. you don't glow differently. <laughs> you know, like you may not notice any you may have no idea.
1: <laughs> yeah, okay, but that's but it is good to know like if you are ovulating you will have a period. Like
2: of some yes. some
1: and varying degree. Can,
2: and it's why you can get pregnant while with with um before you even get your period, so women who are like
1: on that first, I ovulation. haven't even got my
2: period. Yep, and I got pregnant. It's because you got pregnant on your first ovulation. Wow.
1: Okay, that's, well that's good news. Good news. <laughs> ni- yeah. Wow, that's amazing. In and that's of <laughs> Okay. Perfect. Um, thank you for that information. Again, awesome. Uh, let's see. Okay. So all things thyroid. This yes. listener said she was diagnosed with hypothyroid in her pregnancy and still needs medication as of twelve weeks. I'm assuming twelve weeks wait postpartum postpartum? maybe I don't know maybe it's 12 weeks during pregnancy so anyways she says what does that mean what tests should she ask for how often postpartum should she recheck her thyroid levels um her midwives are helping her with it now should she should she seek out the help of an endocrinologist um she I I think this kind of was a run-on she's curious about the safety of those medications during pregnancy and breastfeeding
2: as well so um Thyroid medication is very safe during pregnancy and breastfeeding. In fact, when I have a pregnant woman and even a, a um, pre-pregnant woman who has a thyroid issue, I put them on thyroid medication um, because the, the risks to the developing fetus are way too great and all of my, uh, quote, an alternative thyroid supplements, you can't take while you're pregnant. So I may have a woman who's pre-pregnancy, she's trying to get pregnant, and I'll, and I'll have her on really good... Supplements, nutrients, vitamins, what have you, but a lot of that stuff she'd have to stop when she's pregnant. So, and she can't be on it if she gets diagnosed with hypothyroidism while pregnant. So, I will put them on thyroid medication, and I'll say to her, "I know, don't freak out. It's a medication, but it's very safe. We, are you, I feel the risk to the baby are way too big. You have to do the medication. You can't just right. wait." And then. Once you once you deliver and as you work through breastfeeding and weaning, we will keep a really tight eye on your thyroid and we will do we can go back to the natural stuff for supportive and eventually maybe we can wean you off the thyroid medication. And I have had women who developed hypothyroidism during pregnancy, put them on thyroid medication, and they and then we were able to wean them or off the medication, but it usually takes them beyond breastfeeding to do it in my experience. So meaning they have to be Weaned because breastfeeding has an effect on the thyroid as well, and Mm so I'll say you kind of have to be weaned, and then we can go back to you know weaning you off the medication and and keeping doing the supplements or trying to get more uh, to the cause. Now, I'm assuming her thyroid must have been maybe um, pretty significant because most conventional medicine doctors, OBGYNs, will just run what's called a TSH, a thyroid stimulating Mm -hmm. hormone whereas most midwives that I know will run more markers. They'll run a T3, they'll run a T4, um, which are your two, thyroid, two of your thyroid hormones, and they'll run with what are called thyroid antibodies. Mm-hmm. And thyroid antibodies will test you for the autoimmune thyroid condition. And so what I encourage people when I do thyroid testing is I'm very thorough. So I will, I will do a TSH, but I will also run the T4 and the T3, and I will do the thyroid antibodies to see um, if they happen to develop, if pregnancy, maybe um, induced autoimmune um, thyroid stuff going on.
1: Gotcha. How often would you check that during pregnancy and postpartum, their thyroid um, levels?
2: Their thyroid levels. So during pregnancy, so postpartum, I usually do it um, usually every like four ish weeks. And it depends if I'm having to adjust their medication dose mm-hmm. and how they're feeling. And mm-hmm. um, pregnancy, I've actually had. Uh, OBGYNs and midwives tell me that in, in pregnancies, sometimes they'll do it as often as every two weeks, two to three weeks, because if they can't get it stable, if they Mm. can't get it, um, if they can't get it, uh, like balanced, you know, balanced, figure out if the medication, they can't get the medication worked because it does shift so quickly. But usually they do it by the trimester, you know, if everything's good and fine and you know, you're stable and nothing's changing, you're feeling good, then they'll usually do it within each trimester.
1: Gotcha. Okay, it seems complicated. I have a very good friend um, who has Hashimoto's and um, has to deal with all this during pre- her pregnancies and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and strangely, she said she always feels her her Hashimoto's also always feels typically better during pregnancy.
2: Um, so you Hashi with because your immune system shifts mm-hmm. in in pregnancy. So um, you have within your immune system or in your immune system, um, you can shift. How, how do I make this sound easy? So you have, what's called TH1 and TH2, and it's kind of, um, TH1, uh, does different things than TH2 in your immune system. So with Hashimoto's with you are one way and with pregnancy, you're the other way. And so I definitely have women who say, oh, I feel like my thyroid symptoms got better. I'm like, yeah, cause your immune system shifted because you're pregnant Mm -hmm. you have the shift and so now when you deliver it will unfortunately probably shift back right that's what she said for sure (laughs)
1: yeah she said she's like her husband she's like i have to sleep take the baby (laughs) go into another room like this isn't just because i'm tired this is because i i have to do this to function so um yeah totally 100 um okay We've got a few more left here. Um, and I think we kind of answered this one, but this listener wants to know, is there an ideal time postpartum to take the Dutch test? Can one be performed before a women's period returns postpartum? And I feel like you addressed yeah. this.
2: Yeah. Yep. Totally can. Just know what you're doing. Just, just know just when so. you get the results back that um, y- if you're breastfeeding, then the prolactin will affect your estrogen and progesterone. But if you you're okay with that you just want to know where you are breastfeeding yeah. totally absolutely run the test and we can tell you
1: yeah and i i guess I and mean, with anything it's just it's a snapshot of how you are in yes. that time that day that week that month um yep. regardless of what else is going on because there's a lot of factors i'm sure that can influence your your h- hormone levels not just pregnancy being pregnant or postpartum or anything like that so
2: absolutely sure. absolutely
1: um, okay, here's the Bell's palsy one, and I, I actually don't know much about it. I do have a friend that has had this in the postpartum phase. I always thought it was a virus, um, but so this person said, I suffered from Bell's palsy two days postpartum, and it lasted three months. The only answer she ever really got was that it was, quote-unquote, stress on her hormones. Is there something that she can do to help avoid this if slash when they have a second baby? She said, not only did I, I look extremely terrible for three months, but I was encouraged to take medicine the entire time, which was apparently safe during breastfeeding. She always questioned, questioned if she was making the right decision, um, and it didn't really help anyways. She also tried acupuncture, and that didn't help. Um, and you mentioned so, this is not your forte. So not-
2: it's not, I have had a few patients with Bell's palsy over the years. And so Bell's palsy, it's the facial nerve. It's, mm-hmm. it's the facial nerve gets inflamed or compressed or something happened or attacked. And so you lose muscle control on one, on the one side of your face, the left side or the right side. And, and it gradually for most people, just like in her case, it, it's self-resolving. It will come back. Um, some people, And it happens to men and women. She happened to be postpartum, but men get it too. Um, And it can take, sometimes it doesn't come back all the way. So maybe they get 90% improvement, but if they're really stressed out, if they're really tired, if they're really not taking care of themselves, then they notice they feel sort of droopier on one side of the face, on the affected side of the face. So as far as viruses, like nobody really knows what Bell's, Bell's palsy um, or causes it, but vi- viruses is one of the reasons mm-hmm. that can absolutely cause it. And, and so in a postpartum woman, two days postpartum, her stress is usually really, really high. Mm-hmm. And in stress, your viral load goes up. So a virus she might've had, let's say, let's say she had mono or Epstein-Barr eons ago, years ago, and her body got the the viral load under control so her symptoms are gone she's you know over it like she still has mono or epstein the epstein bar virus in her body it's just it's just squashed mm. by her immune system well now she's stressed out and so and she just had a baby and she's trying to repair and heal and so her immune system takes its thumb off the epstein bar virus cuz it's focused elsewhere and helping her postpartum and potentially this virus is an, just affects the facial nerve and now she gets bell's palsy so it can definitely be uh, viral in nature, but not not always. Mm. So I use, I, I honestly, in the facial nerve, um, like I said, it's if it's inflamed, if it's compressed, if it's um, got issues. So I definitely use acupuncture. You do have to go consistently. Mm-hmm. You can't just go like every six weeks, like you have to go often. Um, but I will also refer for chiropractic or massage because again, the facial nerve, right? It's one of your cranial nerves, one of your, your uh, brain nerves. And so getting adequate blood flow and, and, you know, get lymphatic drainage and movement and muscle relax in that area. Um, and plus, you know, what new mom doesn't want a massage, right? (laughs) All of them do. (laughs) And that helps. And I also use homeopathy. I've used, um, I don't do a lot of homeopathy at all in my, in my practice. Uh, it's not an area of expertise for me at all, except with Bell's palsy. I have had good, uh, results with it, um, with my couple of patients. And so, um, So that's, I do. Yeah. So that's what I do. So I have them take, and I have, in fact, I had one patient who had that instance where she had Bell's palsy and she was about 85 to 90% better most of the time. But when she was very stressed out or when she had to fly a lot for work and she was tired, she could tell her, her affected Mm. side of her face would droop. Not, not a hundred percent, but it would, she noticed it. And so when we would use, um, she had her little homeopathics and she would dose herself and it would, back up again. And, and then she would sleep and, she, you know, she would do all the things she needed to do, but it was really quite helpful for her.
1: Brief pause here. So homeopathics, different, and this is me educating myself, different than supplements, like herbs yes. or things. Like what is an example of a homeopathic remedy for something like Bell's palsy? palsy? Or um, like well, now something...
2: I'd, now I'd have to go look it up. Okay. No, <laughs> no worries. I put I'd you on the spot there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but so like homeopathics, I'm thinking, Like Um, most
2: people are familiar if you're in, if you, like most people, the most popular one is Arnica. Like we hear of, right. Arnica comes as a, um, as you can get as a pill, you can get it in, you know, creams for bumps and bruises. It's, you know, you see it in all sorts of natural kid stuff Mm -hmm. because it's super, super safe. But what it is, is instead of taking, it's a very, 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 very dilute, um, remedy, of the thing, whether it's the plant or the, the, the rock or the stone or the animal or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so it's essentially energetic medicine. Um, if, and so usually in our culture, we think, well, if a little bit is good, more is better, mm-hmm. right? If you're like, well, I felt good on 500 milligrams of vitamin C, then I must feel good on 2000 milligrams of vitamin C <laughs> and homeopathy is the opposite belief. If a little bit is good, then actually going the other way, being very dilute, um, and, and matching up what's called your symptoms with Mm -hmm. the symptoms of what's in the homeopathic remedy is, is sort of the, the premise for homeopathies. It's kind of hard to explain. No, that sounds kind of sounds kind of woo woo. Like I totally understand that, but it, it, I, you know, and a lot of people are very anti homeopathy and I, I respect that and I get that, but I, when I do, when I do use it, which is not all the time, but man, I find it works really potently. And I find, you know, it's like arnica, especially when people use arnica cream when their kids hurt themselves or fall down, or your own self, you bruise or hurt yourself. Like it, it can really help speed up healing. Yeah. Just like with Bell's palsy, and and these few patients that I had when I, there are some we call them acute, meaning like in, like in in the moment acute remedy for homeopathy and Bell's palsy. Like when I picked the right one for the person, it worked really, really well for them. Now right. they were doing other things too. I, I fully yeah. get that. It's very well-rounded, you know, treatment They, but even those, the, my example of the person who traveled a lot, she would say to me, I, you know, I would take it on an airplane. I could feel, I'd look in the airplane mirror, like crap, I'm drooping again. And she would take a remedy and she could feel it. She could move her face better again. I love woo. I'm a hundred percent behind woo. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Only because I've had experience with different things and they, they really do work. I mean, and you know, it's just like what you said, just it's part of the equation of getting healed or getting better and yeah, go for it. Yeah, it's, it's working, And it's
2: really pretty safe. And especially, yeah. you know, when moms are like, what do I give my kid? Cause, they, cause there's so much in our, mm-hmm. there's so much scary stuff out there right now in our environment and our foods and our soil and our air and and everyone's like, I want to be as you know careful as possible. I'm like, I get it, and homeopathy can be a great option, especially. And you can, you know, like Whole Foods has a whole section on totally. homeopathy, and they're all little acute things, like, do you have a cold? Do you have a urinary tract infection? Did you get stung by a bee? Like, they work. <laughs> they yeah, <totally> work. <laughs> that's amazing,
1: awesome. Yeah. Okay. Well, hopefully that was helpful for her. And I think I, to kind of reiterate what you're saying in general about any of these conditions or anything that's happening postpartum like this is sup- sleep. Food, stress, mitigating those things, making them a non-issue and making sure that you're really supported would probably be the number one focus for this person because you can only control what you can control, right? And um, if you're wanting to try and avoid the Bell's palsy, probably making sure you're as supported as possible, you're nourished, you're, you know, getting sleep would be
2: a huge thing in and of itself, Absolutely. And she was postpartum, but I mean, I definitely have people tell me after any severe stress, mm-hmm. after, you know, an illness or after a divorce or after a big move, they're like, what the heck? I'm like, I know <laughs> it's, it's your, it's, your body. it's the stressful, yeah. it's your body. It's your yeah. body. It's the effect of the immune system and that you get Bell's palsy. I mean, you can get other things too. She just yeah. happened to get Bell's palsy yeah. in her case
1: craziness. Okay. We've got three more questions left and we'll try and, and get, get you out of here. I'm sure you've got plenty of stuff to do today. (laughs) I would love to talk for hours and hours and hours, but um, let's see. Okay. Next question. A year postpartum and this person feels like her hormones are still out of whack. She's still breastfeeding. So wondering if she should actually work on balancing them or not worried about any detoxing affecting her supply. And I think we've kind of talked about this a little bit, but I don't know if you want to add anything to that, this particular question.
2: Well, I feel like we've answered the first part for sure, but the detoxing part, I will say, like please do not detox. Don't do a detox. Don't take detox. Don't think about detoxing while you're breastfeeding because you will detox that right out of your tissues and right into the breast milk mm. and give it to your baby. So, do not detox while you're anything. Definitely, you can eat healthier. You can yeah. choose organic. You can choose non-GMO. You can choose to do you know filtered water and you know you can be proactive, but don't detox while you're breastfeeding. And
1: when you're saying detox, like what's a traditional detox look like? Like taking like very targeted supplements and like, yes. Okay.
2: Yeah. So like, uh, I guess in that regard, like an active, like I'm going to take these detox pills or I'm going to take these, this liver support. I'm going to drink this detox tea. I'm going to do this detox program don't do that while you're breastfeeding okay. because what detoxing, the, the, the premise behind detoxing is that it'll mobilize, potentially mobilize toxins or metals or what have you out of your system, clean up your liver and push it out of your body. Mm-hmm. Except when you're breastfeeding, it will push it right into your milk supply okay. and you don't want that. So Don't detox until you're not breastfeeding, until you're weaned. If, you, if you're going to do a program or you're going to work with somebody or you've done something before, you want to repeat, you have to be weaned. Gotcha.
1: And then so I'll just reiterate, like to answer her question, based on what you've said is that you can support yourself to encourage the balancing of hormones naturally, like through sleep and stress and food and Mm -hmm. all those other environmental things that you can change. But in terms of really balancing hormones, it's really not going to be as effective until you're done breastfeeding. And in those terms, like, that's when you can start taking some of the more um, effective supplements.
2: Right. That's and what that's I mean. with estrogen, right. Estrogen and progesterone. I mean, okay. you know, definitely, um, like I was saying earlier, people can, for sure, you can test your thyroid, you can test your, your HPA access, which are your, your adrenal glands. I mean, you can look at your cortisol. Um, so when people say hormones, we have a lot of hormones in our body, mm-hmm. like a whole lot. But um, with, with breastfeeding, it is going to affect those estrogen and progesterone ones. So if you're feeling, quote, out of whack and it's more of a, like, I'm stressed out, I can't sleep, I'm tired, you know, maybe look more at at, at the adrenals, at the cortisol stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you want, like, a big picture, everything's a mess, you can test absolutely. But just keep in mind, breastfeeding affects it.
1: And did you say the Dutch test does
2: test adrenal stuff? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. We gotcha. do cortisol. We even do cortisone, which is the inactive form of cortisol. And we do melatonin. So we give you okay. sort of a big picture of your day and your night. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. So that makes sense.
1: They could do the Dutch test, but they would have to look at certain hormonal results for what they're worth in terms yes. of like, okay, gotcha. Yep. Gotcha. Yep. Okay. Um,. We kind of talked about this, but do you have a hard and fast rule about how long to wait after weaning to take the test to to, to like quote unquote get a relatively normal reading from your horse? Um
2: I say 2 to 3 cycles post weaning. So if once you wean and you get your 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 you get that first period post weaning, like try to wait two or three more after that and then do a Dutch test. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, because if you if you do it right, like I've had some women are like, I stopped, you know, I weaned on Monday, and I got my period on Wednesday, and then I did my test right after, and it looks weird. I'm like, well, you, you could still have the like, You're still a prolactin. Like, right. it's still, you know, you've you just weaned. It's entirely possible this is still going to change over the next couple months. Gotcha. But we can still use it. Just keep that in mind. It's right. probably changing as we talk as we speak <laughs> okay great
1: um and then last question and i'm curious about this um i actually mentioned it to my practitioner who's not a, technically a functional medicine doctor but she is more holistically minded but i mentioned it and she's like i've never heard of it and so where <laughs> do we go to get the d- dutch test ordered who interprets it how does that whole process work is it covered by insurance do you have to can you order it yourself all these questions came in
2: totally how so, to do this you the thankfully our website is easy it's okay. dutchtest.com okay so dutchtest.com and then yes you can order it um uh, we strongly recommend though that you order it through a uh a practitioner and uh you know licensed practitioners can sign up to have an account okay. we have a list so if you are in an area and you don't have a functional medicine practitioner or you would like to see one? If you contact Dutch Test um, and let them know where in the, where in the world you live, we have practitioners literally all over the world, um, thousands of them. Then they can refer you to somebody. They can say, "Well, these people in this area," and you can check them out and see who works with you to interpret it. If you order the Dutch test yourself right off of our website, there is no interpretation. You do get your results. So, um, you will have that information and with the results comes information about each hormone, but like what to do and what all the dials actually mean. You will have to take it to a, um, practitioner um, or which I don't recommend, but, or figure it out on your own, but that's really right. tough.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it's very complex. Um, and so yes. do also people like functional medicine practitioners, I'm sure you, you work with people remotely or virtually, like there's a lot of people that I know that there, do that. Yeah.
2: Okay. Times. And and we even have a, an ongoing list at Dutch test of approved practitioners who do function remotely or over Skype, um, or do phone calls or, you oh know, gosh. zoom stuff, email. So we have live in person. So let's, like, let's pretend, you know, you live in Dallas, Texas, then mm-hmm. you can call and say, I live in Dallas, you know, send, who's in Dallas or in the Dallas area. Or can you please send me the list of practitioners who are, who do it over, who do it remotely. That's and amazing. then you can choose. So we don't, we don't just send you one person. We give you a list and then you, you know, it's up you to you. Choose. You can choose. Yeah. Cause you may not resonate with right. everybody. So You can check it out. And then as far as is it billable to insurance, it is submittable to insurance. We do not bill. um, But if your practitioner puts the proper codes on there, so they're called ICD-10 codes, Mm -hmm. um, we can give you what's called a super bill and you can submit to your own insurance. And then we can... Um, or you can submit, if you have a health savings account, it is submittable to your health savings account. So we do have a lot of patients, like a lot of patients who bill it, run it through their health savings account. Gotcha. Okay. Yes.
1: Good to know. Awesome. I did not know that, that you could go to the Dutch site and request that information. That's going to be super powerful, especially for people who may live in an area where functional medicine practitioners, it's not as common. Um, and finding a good one is hard. So that's, that's incredible. Thank you so much for sharing
2: this information. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for, thanks for inviting me. Thanks for reaching out. Yeah, I'm
1: <laughs> fired up. I can't wait for this one to go live. Um, so tell us before we leave, tell us a little bit or tell us where we can find you, how to connect with you. Are you active on social media? Just if anyone wants to learn more from you, I do follow you on Instagram and your information is amazing. So tell us where we can <laughs> okay. find you.
2: Yeah. So I am at all things Dutch test. So if you go to com, all every webinar and podcast I've ever done is we have on that. We have a whole little section on it. It's free. You can watch, learn all of our videos on Dutch test are, are, um, about the Dutch test itself are free. You do not have to be a practitioner to, to watch along and listen along. Um, we are big believers in education, so we just give it out for anyone who wants to read and learn more. And then, yes, I am super active on Instagram. Um, I'm a visual, I'm a visual person, so mm-hmm. I like Instagram the best. And, um, and so my handle is Jones. So at Jones. Perfect. And yep. And I have, I'm all about education. I'm, I mean, obviously I work for the Dutch test, but I don't, I don't have programs or classes or court. I'm not trying to sell anything. I'm just, education's what I do. So all my posts are pretty much teaching something to you.
1: That's amazing. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much again. As always, um, if you like what you're hearing with us at the Modern Mamas, Please feel free to rate us and write a review. We love to read those. You can find us on social media at space and at laura.radicalroots. And then if you have any questions at all, if you have a topic that you want us to dive into, please feel free to email us with questions um, at modernmamaspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for coming on,
2: Dr. Jones. We will um, see you soon. That sounds great. Thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. All right. Bye. Bye bye. Okay. Can you hear me? I can. Yes.
1: <laughs> I'm so glad you didn't hang up. The last two times people we were like, peace. Um, but I just want to let you know, I think we have this one. It's probably going to go live in a couple weeks, um, okay. but I will definitely let you know and I'll create a podcast graphic for you that you can share if you want to with your people. Um, but yep. th- again, thank you so much. This was such a good episode. Everyone's going to be so excited to listen to it. So I appreciate oh, your time.
2: <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah. Oh, and who are you
1: interviewing for the birth control
2: pill? I'm just curious.
1: Um. I will. So we're doing an episode with Holly Grig Spall. Yeah. Okay. So you yeah, know her. Okay. Little Miss, Miss Daisy's. Yes. Yeah, so she is a brand ambassador for Daisy, and then she also, I guess, wrote a book about um, hormonal birth control that's being turned into like a documentary. So <gasps> we're gonna, wow. yeah, we're gonna interview her and find out. It's mostly for the Daisy, but mm-hmm. I, we're gonna talk about why doing something like a fertility tracker would be a better option over horm- hormonal birth control. But do you have anybody like that you know that um, wants to talk about that?
2: I was gonna say Jolene Brighton is one has, oh, yes. has oh, she yes. been on your um, She has not pod-
1: no, not yet. But I would and, love and, to
2: use on. I love I mean Daisy's my favorite. That's what I recommend to people all the time. I did I actually did Daisy so the Dutch test, we have one a test where you collect one sample every morning, and we graph mm-hmm. out. It's for the people who need a t- like results every day of their cycle. Right. To, and we do the estrogen, progesterone all through every day. And so I did my Daisy lined it up with my my Dutch test, and it was like spot on, perfect. Like you see my temperature rise, and then you see my progesterone go up, and I'm like, that This is, is so, so cool! <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> I'm such a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah, that is but so cool. Jolene has a um book coming out in January, I think that's the entire thing is about the birth control pill and it's pretty oh my gosh. amazing. Okay. I'm going to reach out to her. I know she, um, we're friends with like Liz and Diane,
1: um, from the balance bites podcast and they've had her on yes. several times and yes. yes, she's definitely on my list. So I will reach out cause the, the one with Holly will be more about Daisy and mm-hmm. less about hormones and are the birth control. And I would love to dive deeper into that. So
2: Yeah. No. And she's great. She's really nice. Thank you so much for
1: that suggestion. (laughs) I know I've listened to her podcast. She's hilarious.
2: (laughs) Yeah. She's yeah. She's all Latina. (laughs) (laughs) That's
1: awesome. Well, thank you again, Dr. Jones. I will, like I said, I'll let you know when it goes live. Very cool. I love it. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye.
2: Thanks for listening to our podcast. See you next time.